So we are here today gathered with some pastors in the Virginia Annual Conference to reflect and consider um, Black History Month. And I think it's important for us to just make the statement and let it be known that when we talk about Black History Month, it is with the intention to give value to Black stories, to celebrate both, um, to celebrate the joys, but also to recognize and claim the suffering and pain that has been caused um, to Black persons in our country for centuries. And so we are glad to be gathered here with a, a couple pastors and I'll let them introduce themselves. And then Pastor Page will be sharing with us an essay that he wrote. And, um, we're thankful to get to just be here and listen to reflect and consider the ways that God is working through this time. Thanks for being here. Hello everyone, my name is Delicia A. Davis and I serve as the pastor of Callaway United Methodist Church located in the city of Arlington, Virginia. We are known as the best church on Lee Highway and there's not many others. But I'm blessed to be able to be here with you today to share in this time. My name is James Page. I'm the pastor at Galloway United Methodist Church. Now, though Callaway and Galloway are always confused, and the only thing separate us is one letter uh, in the beginning. So, but we are the best church on Annandale Road, which there's not a whole bunch of them. But uh, this morning, I come just to share with you. We had prepared a essay back uh, for Martin Luther King and. Under the direction of the bishop, we wanted to hold it for Black History Month. So uh, I will share the essay with you. And uh, then if you all have any questions, you all can email me, call me, and uh, reflect. Uh, but on August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stood at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and delivered the I Have a Dream speech. Here we are almost 58 years later wondering, are we living the dream as a vision of hope or are we living in deja vu and a nightmare? Did the Emancipation Proclamation really set us free or were there loopholes in the design that put in place other avenues of slavery? Our prison system has since become the new plantation where people of color are the new slaves to the system. Our laws are designed whereby rules for our white counterparts are seen differently. In the past couple of months, we have seen that the First Amendment of the Constitution does not fully apply to people of color, and it guarantees the rights to the freedom of speech, press, and religion, and protecting the rights to uh, petition the government. People of color kneeling have become a cry of disrespect. And the peaceful protests of Black Lives Matter were met with met by law enforcement and National Guard. But on January 6th, the United States Capitol was breached, and there was not enough law enforcement to stop the riots, nor were the National Guard to be found. The Second Amendment guarantees people the right to bear arms for defense. If the people of this country have the right to own and bear arms, how can our white counterparts walk around freely with guns when a person of color can be and has been killed by the very sight 
a gun. So is our constitution for all or for some? Can we take the blinded eyes of the past 58 years and use this time and this moment to move from the nightmare to a true vision of hope for all men? To do, to do this, we must come to terms that there is still racism in this country, there is still privilege in this country, and there is still systemic racism in this country. Former First Lady Michelle Obama made a statement that aligns with King's words when she said, when they take the low road, we take the high road. People of color, it is time for us to take the high road. It is time for us to stop giving society ammunition to justify their hatred. It is time for us to look at ourselves. We need to ask these questions. Will God be pleased? Who does it benefit? Will it move us closer to what we want or hinder us? We cannot be satisfied as long as people of color are being killed by those whose duty is to serve and protect. We cannot be satisfied as long as due process is handled on the streets. We cannot be satisfied when our voting system is open to all, but when people of color turn out, the vote is questioned. With the vision that we can sleep, eat, and move within an appearance of freedom, is a start. And this is the question before us today. Will it be possible to take this dream and turn it into a true livable vision of an America that had our constitutions and our laws mean the same to all and not to just a few? Can I love that we as God has intended it? Love your neighbor as yourself. If that is too hard, can we try to live as Wesleyan Methodist and do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinance of God, or simply put it, stay in love with God. Thank you. Thank you for your words, Pastor Page. I think um, we not only heard the bits of that that connected so much to um, MLK's Martin Luther King's speech, but we heard certainly your pastoral presence and voice. Um, you prayed over us as you spoke that essay, and so we are thankful to hear your prophetic witness. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you were inspired to write this? Normally, Black History Month, you are going to hear Martin Luther King's speech recited played uh, somewhere during Black History Month or definitely on Martin Luther King's birthday. Uh, you were always going to hear the, the speech. And this year I was sitting around and I was just reading through the speech and I realized that all the things that we have gone through in the past, at least the past year, caused me to question whether or not Martin Luther King speech did anything or has changed anything. You know, in, 19, in the 60s when Martin was marching, they were using uh, police dogs and water hoses to con uh, control uh, Blacks when they were marching. 
and we have just exchanged the police dogs and the water hoses to tear gas and National Guard. You know, we constantly, over the past year or so, we constantly hear the, the taking away my Second Amendment rights. But the Second Amendment rights really don't apply to people of color because all a law officer has to say is gun and normally somebody's life is lost. So those things inspired me to really look and question how far have we come in 58 years? And, and can we move uh, further beyond where we are? Thank you. We're appreciative of those questions and that lends itself to us asking, um, and this is for both of you, why is this important for us to consider in our political climate? You started to answer that a little bit, but but tell us more about that. Why it's important for us to hear these words today with the current political climate we are living in. For me, it's, it's time for us to stand up and look at who we are. You know, we we say we have these laws, we say that these laws mean the same to everyone, but if you really dig down deep, they don't. And you know, we've seen the past month, you know, the, the emphasis now we had we have our first uh, vice president of color. That really shouldn't matter. We have a president of color. And it seems like this country is constantly dividing ourselves based on what we look like or who we are. You know, Kamala Harris is a woman and she's of color, but she should be thought about, can she do the job as vice president? Does she have the intellect, not if she's a woman or if she's of color? She's a human being and that's what we should be judging people on, not the political climate, but what God created us to be. He created her, created her to be a strong black woman or uh, Asian woman. So we have to understand who we are and who God created us to be. I would echo uh, with Reverend Page on that today, but I also would stress uh, with what is happening in 2021, mainly the insurrection that took place on the steps of the Capitol and throughout the Capitol building, that it is very important um, that we are stressing that everyone is important, that everyone is equal, uh, regardless of what you may look like, regardless of uh, what your, your preferences are in life. Um, Jesus created us to be that way, or God created us to be that way, um, to be unique in who we are, but we are still equal. And so with this political climate right now, it's important for the church or those of us uh, who profess Christ as our savior to constantly uh, bring that to the forefront, our equality, our love, our peace, our joy, because those are the only things that will make a difference in the world that we're living in now. Our political climate has divided us and now it's up to those who are the call, the ecclesia to go back and to join us back together. Now that our pastors are preaching, Let's uh, talk a little bit more about how we connect um, this message and the value of this message to our Christian faith, to the gospel message. I think I can hear you um, hearing the prophetic words of Jesus as you're reflecting now. So share a little bit about that. 
I think it's important that we even revisit where we uh, are, where we have been in, in terms of biblical studies. Um, Jesus talked about the gospel being open. Um, at that point, they were talking about those who were Gentiles, those who were Jews, and uh, many people in the church were divided because uh, the, the, many of them felt that they had a right to what Jesus was offering. Uh, many of them thought that they were better because they had gone through these traditions for many years. And, and, and so, there was division that existed there. And what did Jesus do? Jesus reminded them, you know, I didn't come to change the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And Jesus spent the majority of his time uniting them. And then Paul comes some years later and it speaks to the church at Ephesus and the church at Galatia um, it, it, in terms of uniting their hearts and their spirits together and not allowing themselves to be divided. And so I think it's very important that at this point, um, we look at what Jesus has said to us, and that is to love everyone, love God with all of our hearts, our soul, and our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And remember that our neighbor is not an African-American, not an Anglo-Saxon, not a Latino, and it's not a person who likes the things that we like, but our neighbors are those who are in this walk, in this journey with us every day. I agree with Pastor Davis. And, you know, as we go back uh, into the Hebrew text, you know, when God was creating things, they said God created us in his image. You know, when have we decided what God looks like? based on what we believe and what we think. God was a spirit, so our image is the love and the desire that God has for each and every one of us, not our skin tone, not our uh, gender or any of those things. It is what God created us to be. He created us to be separate and wise enough to understand that if we trust and believe in him, that all that we have to do is continue our walk with him and not deal with all of the unnecessary things that we deal with in life. Every time man has tried to intervene for God, God has always corrected us. You know, they brought the woman, uh, woman with the uh, that was caught in adultery, and God says, you know, you without sin cast the first stone, and everyone laughs. So, how are we going to start judging each other when we are just as bad as the next person? But we we find within ourselves that. We think what, what's good for us and we are so perfect and we can find the faults in everyone else. And I think we need to stop looking for faults uh, within our brothers and sisters and look for the true heart of people. And the heart of people is what we should be working with. The love of people is where we should be finding ourselves and not uh, dealing with all of the external things uh, that come in life. So, we find ourselves um, almost a hundred years since the first Black History Month and um, or the first celebration of of this time, and um, it's been over sixty years, almost sixty years, since the Reverend Dr. King gave this speech. Um, I'm wondering now what you think about um, about this dream that. He laid out for us. Is this dream still a dream? Um, are we living into it? What do we need to do to get there? 
So Nikki, that is a wonderful question. Um, and I do believe that in some ways we are living into the dream and in some ways that that is still a, a far way off. Um, I think we're living into the dream because we do see um, places where uh, people of all different races, ethnicities, and types are coming together and um, not making it on the basis of a person's skin color or on the basis of personal preferences, but just simply on the basis of their character and heart. We do see that in some sectors of our society. However, um, I think just like with anything else, when you have progression, there are times that you may fall back. Um, there may be times that um, you have to push even harder just to get back to where you were. And so I think that's where we are currently. Uh, there are still some things that are far off dreams that he said, but then there are some things that we can actually practically do today. Um, I am blessed to be a mother. I'm a mother of a 20-year-old junior in college as well as a six-year-old uh, first grader. And um, I can say both of them um, have been in schools that have are, are diverse and um, have all different types of people in there and they can walk hand in hand. They can join heart in heart um, because they don't have the presuppositions that many of us who have lived uh, many other decades have um, at this time. So I think for them, um, the dream is alive and there's just a, a bit more of a push. Uh, for some of us, um, as we see what is happening politically um, in this nation and the rise of some of the groups that Expose hatred, um, it seems that the dream is further off, but that is because we've taken a step back and we simply need to move ourselves forward to be back on that path towards progression. Also, I believe that, you know, we, we are moving forward in, in as uh, Pastor David said, in some areas, and then some areas we are uh, at a standstill. I think one of the biggest problems is that until we start telling true American history, we are never going to get to the point that people are going to understand what the struggles were or what the struggles still are. You know, our young people, you know, I grew up and I went to a segregated school uh, until high school. My 20-year-old, almost 21-year-old daughter, she's only thing she's ever known was integrated schools. And, you know, her friends were, the people she got along with, it wasn't based on their skin color or what they did, you know. Uh, you know, for her, you know, spending the night with her her best friend who is white was nothing, you know, for them to hang out and go places. But I think at the same time, because they really don't truly know all the history, it's easy for them to forget the struggles that not maybe I went through, but their grandparents went through and, you know, not understanding how easy it will be to fall back if we don't continue to push and ask the right questions to get us to where we need to be. Uh, you know, when we look at this country now and the political climate that, you know, really, I think shape where we are right now, you know, I, I don't wanna be political, but four years ago, we were, we were celebrating the fact that we had the first black president before the world took a turn backwards. You know, we actually in the past four years have been set back 50 more years or so, going back through the same thing, you know, the hate groups are now, you know, coming out of the woodworks where they were quiet 
for years and years. And now they feel that they have some power. They have someone that can speak for them and they are emboldened now to do things that we thought were over with. You know, when I was growing up, the Ku Klux Klan was something that you heard about on a regular basis. And, you know, as time went, we didn't hear about them, but all of a sudden now, they've just changed their names. Now they got, you know, different names, but it's the same hate groups. Uh, so we just have to be vigilant in, in teaching our, not just the black kids, but the white kids, the true history. And we shouldn't wait until February to talk about black history. We should be talking about black history, Asian history, uh, Latino history, everyone helped build this country, not just the whites. And if you go back and look at a lot of the progress this country made, it was on people of color's back that got this country to where it is. So I think we just need to really dig in and start telling the truth about how this country was uh, was born uh, and, and stop talking about what Columbus did because Columbus didn't do anything for this country except for take the people that were here and cause them you know, more troubles and more problems than before he showed up. Thank you, pastors. Um, Pastor Page, I'm, I'm reflecting on the last questions that you asked um, in this essay. Is it possible to take this dream and make it a livable vision? I think you've answered some of that. You've talked a little bit about what that work would look like, but you asked two more questions. And this one question I find really interesting. How do we live as Wesleyan Methodists called to do no harm, do good, and to stay in love with God. Um, I'd love for you both to reflect on that. How, how do we do this faithfully in the midst of the pain and suffering that we see in the midst of the division in our country? Um, yeah, let's take some time and think about that. Do, do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. These are our three rules. For me, you know, I've I've grown up in the United Methodist Church. This is the only denomination I truly know. Uh, but what I find is that we have the tendency to use Wesley's words to justify what we want to do a lot of times, or put things that Wesley really didn't say per se in into conversation. But when it comes to do no harm, I, you know, here in the uh, 21st century, we are still doing harm to one another. You know, I, I don't understand how we can be Christians and then constantly look and constantly try to use scripture to justify our shortcomings. And if we're going to use those to justify our shortcomings, then why can't we use them to justify your shortcomings? Because we are harming one another by constantly putting things out there. And, and one of the things that, you know, I, I'm sure I'm gonna get some kickback on this one, but, you know, a lot of our Methodist churches now have banners out in front with the rainbow symbols on them saying all are welcome. You shouldn't need to put a sign in front of your church to say all are welcome if you are a house of God. 
people should feel safe to walk in. You know, if my LBGDQ brothers and sisters walk into a church, unless you ask crazy questions or are a busybody, you will not know what their status is unless you ask or they share. But me as a black person will walk into your church and it's a predominantly white church. You know I'm different when I walk into your church. And I have walked into so many churches because the pastor and I are friends and until the pastor greets me or says something, the congregation is standoffish. Do we realize how much harm that does to people when they walk inside of our church? So if we're gonna stay in love with God, then we have to stay in love with God's people. And if we stay in love with God, God's people, then we don't see anything different. I think also it's very important that um, if we really want to do no harm, that we go back and revisit who we are and why we are the way that we are in our lives so that we can become better. And there are books that are out there. Um, when I served as a youth pastor for Ibram Kendi, um, and he wrote this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, um, which in fact allows you to look at your culture and way of life um, and to decide the ways that you have been directly or indirectly influenced by your culture in order to have prejudices against other cultures and ethnicities. And then um, he's very clear in the book to talk about the difference between a person who is not racist and a person who is anti-racist. A person who is not racist is complacent and complicit um, with just having people of other races around them um, and not doing anything to them. But an anti-racist is someone who actively works to end any type of racism, whether it's something that they do, um, whether it's uh, consciously or subconsciously, or even racism that exists around them. So if we really want to live out uh, the words of John Wesley, uh, then we would need to make sure that we are anti-racist. And that doesn't simply mean white people to black people or Latinos and, and, and others, but it means being anti-racist. All of us, no matter what our culture is, going back, revisiting it and making sure that we are not having specific prejudices against people simply because of what we see when we look at them with our eyes. Instead, we should be looking at them the way that God does, or at least attempting to do so, looking at the heart, at the character and the content of a person. And so it's very important, I think, that we not only talk about it, but that we do work with it. Our church is engaged in conversations right now that we call called Courageous Conversations, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And, and we're doing it for Arlington and Fairfax counties. Um, but in that, each person is asked to look at themselves and to make conscientious changes about ways that you may be racist or prejudiced or um, biased towards other people. 
And I think all of us in the Virginia Conference, everyone who's listening, uh, myself included, we can take time out and make sure that we're not putting ourselves on a pedestal, that we're never um, treating other people as if we're better than them, no matter uh, what their status is, no matter what school they've gone to, whether they belong to a fraternity or sorority or uh, whether they're part of a class of citizens or how much money they have or what which church they grew up in. None of those things should make someone feel like they are better than others. And so we have to, uh, the same way that was constructed in our lives, we have to tear that down so that there will be equality first in our minds. And then that equality will then be shown to others because of our behavior and change all of our destiny. Thank you both. I've got, I've got one more question, but I think you you have both brought to my mind um, this image that Kendi gives us about racism, um, that somebody's standing out in the rain and you highlight the fact that it's raining. You tell them, hey guys, it's raining and you hand them an umbrella and they don't wanna take the umbrella. They're willing to just stand in the rain. And um, for people of color like us, I think we see the rain all the time. And today your words are um, extending an umbrella reminding us that we have ways to continue to um, to move forward and um, to answer these questions. And I think what I hear coming up um, is that we'd rather, instead of this reign of racism, see this reign of loving our neighbor. If you can reflect a little bit about what it really looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves, um, and then Pastor Davis, if you'll close us with a prayer. For me, I think if we want to get to the point that we are truly trying to end racism, I think look at yourself and Think what it would be like if you were born blind, if you never saw color. The only thing you ever saw or, or dealt with was a voice. And you would judge that person by the kindness, the softness, the tenderness of their voice. And I think if we finally get back to being the people that God created, we will have to close our eyes and stop looking at the outer part of man, of human beings, and look within and connect with the spirit of that person. And when you connect with the spirit of that person, you are not connecting with a physical body. You are connecting within a a love that only God can share and God can show. So I think if we decide and truly stop looking at whether you're Black, White, Asian, Latino, uh, Northern Pacific, any of those things that the government has placed on a form for you to check, if we stop checking the box or if there was no box, and the only box that was to check would say human being or maybe 
God's child or Christian, I think it will alleviate a whole lot of the anxieties that we go through in this world because God didn't create us to look he asked us to look and show love and my thing is if we love one another as God loves us then how do we do anything differently than be respectful of what God created And I echo the sentiments of Pastor Page tonight uh, as well. But I would say uh, to love one another as we love ourselves, it means that we should really be honest about who we are and be transparent. Um, no one expects any of us to be perfect. We all have within, um, because of our respective cultures, uh, biases and prejudices that we have to work out and work through. And so if we truly want to love one another, I think it's important that we simply say that to uh, our neighbors and let them know the intention of our heart is never to be hurtful um, towards them or anyone else, but our heart's intention is to walk this journey with love, joy, and peace. And if we make a mistake, open and avail ourselves to constructive criticism so that we might be made better for it. Isn't that why we read our Bible? Isn't that why we pray? Isn't that why we worship? So that we can become better each and every day. And we should be able to do that with our brothers and our sisters, regardless of where they've come from, regardless of what they like and don't like, even if they eat Brussels sprouts, we should still love them the same. And so today, I'm so grateful that we had this time to be able to share. Um, it's been a blessing to share with Reverend Nikki Howard and Reverend uh, James Page during this time. And I pray that these discussions continue, not only here uh, with the conference, but in your church and especially in our homes, that we might grow from this place and that we might realize the dreams in our respective places. Um, today, I want to just share with you the prayer that touched my heart some years ago. Uh, one of my mentors, the Reverend Dr. James Lowry, passed away just a few years ago. But at the first inauguration of President Obama, he shared a prayer and benediction um, that really was to bridge us together. And I want to share that as we close today. We go now to walk together as children pledging that we won't get weary in the difficult days ahead. We know, God, you will not leave us alone. With your hands of power and your heart of love, help us now then, Lord, to work for a day when nations shall not lift up sword against nations, when tanks will be beaten into tractors, when every man and woman shall sit under his or her own vine and fig tree and none shall be afraid, when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Lord, in memory of all the saints who from their labors rest and in the joy of a new beginning, we ask you to help us work for the day when black will not be asked to get back, when brown can stick around, when yellow will be mellow, when the red man can get a head man, and when white will embrace what is right, that all who do justice 
and love mercy will be able to say amen. 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 And all God's people say amen and amen. Thank you, pastors, for being with us. And I'm Pastor Nikki Morano-Howard here working in the conference office. I'm one of our associate directors, the Associate Director of Learning. We are so thankful that you joined us for this conversation, and we hope to keep the conversation going. Thanks again.